And today we're talking to an expert on near-death experiences. Fascinating area. The idea of almost dying and seeing, well, a lot of people describe the same thing, a bright light, a tunnel. Sometimes they talk about speaking to someone they know who has already died. We don't know exactly what will happen to us when we die, but there are patterns and similarities between what people experience when they're on the precipice of death and manage to come back and tell us about it. If you've had a near-death experience, we would love to hear about it. Or perhaps you have a question for our expert. The text number is 2101. Get to it. In the meantime, I'll introduce Associate Professor Natasha Tassel-Matamua from Massey University's School of Psychology. Natasha, hello. Hello, GC. Nice to talk to you today. Sounds like we've got a bit of a delay on our Zoom line, so we'll have to be patient with each other, waiting uh, for uh, waiting to hear each other talk. And I'll start. When did you first become interested in near-death experiences? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a long story, but I'll cut it short. About 15 years ago, um, I became interested, just after I'd completed my PhD, um, became interested in researching near-death experiences, um, but my um, personal interests started um, sort of in my early 20s. That's when I first read about them and thought, uh, okay, this is really interesting stuff. Um, but then I had to wait a little while till after I um, finished my PhD to pursue it um, in a research uh, sort of context. Yeah, and is it true that you had an experience like this yourself? Yes, yeah, yeah. So in my um, sort of late teens, I'd, it was my first year of university and I um, was just feeling unwell one day and I'm, I'm not a very good sick person. I don't do sick that well, um, but I was yep. feeling that unwell that, yeah, I'm sure you might be able to relate. I'm sure many people can, but on this particular day, I, I really felt like I needed to lie down Um so I did, and I'm not entirely sure what happened other than I know I lost um, normal everyday waking consciousness, um, but I was conscious in another way, um, as in I felt fully alert but really unaware of my physical body. Gosh. And I just remember travelling, well, appearing to travel at really fast speeds down a tunnel towards a bright light, um, and I saw a sort of silhouette of a being in the light and I, I just remember for some reason communicating to this being, um, which I can only describe now in a sort of telepathic way, just saying I'm not ready yet um, and being yeah. propelled back through the tunnel into my body uh, and then waking up and just being covered in sweat and completely confused about what had just happened because mm. I've never heard of a near-death experience and didn't until a few years later um, and just not really sure what had happened to me. So I, I didn't tell anyone. Um, That's interesting eh? because some people listening will will be, will be already have a theory and say, hey, maybe everyone yeah. experiences this the same thing because they've heard other people's experiences and that's just what the body does. It sort of apes what it thinks is meant to happen. But you had never heard about this mm -hmm. idea of a tunnel or, or, or even – communicating with somebody in the near-death experience that was just something you experienced for the first time yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. It just sort of happened without any um, priming from any other 
source. You know, I'd never read about it yeah. or um, watched anything on TV. And this is, um, you know, a good 25 years ago when NDEs um, weren't as popularised or well-known as what they are now. Um, so I I don't put my experience down to any sort of um, priming, I guess you could say. Priming, it, yeah. It just happened. NDE, near-death experience for people who um, haven't put that together, NDE. And, um, well, now you've started formally studying it, and I think... Your first study was in 2010. How many different people did you speak to in that study and how similar were their experiences to yours and to each other? Yeah, yeah. So 2010 um, is the year that myself and a colleague who's now retired began our study. And at that time, um, we had hundreds of people contact us via email. They'd leave phone messages on our work phones, um, and we, we formally interviewed 100 people, um, but we had many more people share their experience with us, many of them the first time ever that they'd spoken about it. And there were lots of similarities. Um, so some of the things you mentioned um, in your introduction about bright lights, um, maybe seeing deceased others, Feelings of peace and joy and, and happiness um, were also very common. So, and, and those aren't the only uh, features, I guess, of near-death experiences, but there were certainly a lot of similarities, um, similarities and, you know, people say, I saw a light, or, but, but each experience was also unique. So there were similar themes, but, but each experience was different. Um, so it was really, in some ways, reassuring for me as someone who had had one of these experiences. But it was just interesting to, um, I guess, find that people who had no apparent connection, you know, hundreds of people, no apparent connection to each other, had very similar experiences. And, and they were people of all ages, of all occupations, educational levels, you know, religious affiliations. So there was nothing... The only thing really they had in common were that they'd had these very unusual, profound experiences that they um, felt had transformed them and transformed their lives in really amazing ways. Yeah, which leads me to my next question. Do most people feel like it's a positive, I mean, the, the almost dying part, I guess not very positive, but the, the experience itself, that it's a, a positive feeling? Most who I've spoken to um, have reported that it is positive, that it was positive for them, mm. um, the actual experience. There have been a few who have indicated that the experience wasn't positive at the time. Um, and I'll just give you two examples. Mm. I was actually recently, I've just got back from the States, and while I was there I spoke to um, someone who said his experience felt like going to help. That's how he described it. Um, and then another person uh, back in 2010 who I spoke to, she said her experience um, just felt empty. Um, and to her, she found that very, very unpleasant. But the of those two examples and of other people I've spoken to, they uh, reflect afterwards and say, even though it was unpleasant at the time, it provided them with a, I guess, a catalyst for change. 
Um, so the after effects seem to be positive, um, even if the experience itself is not. Um, so most people, yes, they report these positive experiences, but there's also the added element of um, those of us who research in the area think that maybe the less pleasant experiences are perhaps underreported. So people who um, mm. have had a less pleasant experience may not necessarily be so keen to share that with people for whatever reason. You talked about a catalyst for change. Do, do people come out of those near-death experiences with a new perspective on life? More often than not, yes. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not... Um, in fact, I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who's had a near-death experience who hasn't felt transformed in some way. Mm. Um, but a lot of the, the common sort of themes that people talk about are sort of a changed perspective on life, um, a changed perspective on their relationships. They feel more sort of loving towards everything and everyone. Um, they feel less uh, materialist um, or less consumerist, less, less like they're wanting to buy things and a greater sense of care for the environment. Um, and interestingly, the, the most... Um, dominant change that people tend to talk about is this loss of the fear of death. They just simply, um, and I think that's maybe quite pervasive or quite common in Western societies, this perhaps unspoken fear of death, but people who have near-death experiences more often than not say, you know what, I've, I've just lost that. I don't fear death anymore. And it's usually because they see it in a different way. They don't see it anymore as an annihilation. Mm. They see it as, as a continuation of their, um, some say, consciousness, or soul, or spirit, just in a different form. Um, and I think that's a really nice outcome, actually. Um, and I think it allows, and people have said actually, that it allows them to live differently when they're no longer fearing uh, death. Um getting lots of nice text messages in, including this one from Tom. Um, more of a challenging message from Tom. He says, I hope your discussion on near-death experiences is going to include perfectly rational explanations as well as the supernatural. We all have the same brain structure and brain chemistry. Why would be we would be unsurprised if people, I think he's saying, why would we be surprised if people had similar experiences with near-death? The tunnel and the light is more likely to be the brain shutdown sequence. Um, what do you think of that, Natasha? You haven't said anything, I think, that could be interpreted as supernatural yet, but um, mm, is there yeah, any evidence yeah, for and, what, and, what might be going on when people see that tunnel and that light? Uh, in short, no. Um, and it, it's something that's debated, you know, this idea that are near-death experiences real? Are they just a function of brain function or, or the brain shutting down and so far there's nothing that we can conclusively say yes it is it is simply the brain shutting down um so i i tend to it's something that comes up all the time this this debate but i tend to um disagree and i disagree because there's just no evidence to suggest conclusively that every single element of the near-death experience 
can be uh, recreated or manufactured by the brain. Um, I could go on about this, Jesse, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> okay, well, we may come back to it. Um, yeah. Someone else who, who said that they, they were on a TV show and they had to interview people mm-hmm. uh, in the USA about near-death experiences, they said it changed their life and that of the TV crew forever. They said, same as you, many yeah. similarities in the experiences, but also many profound differences um, all had witnesses all came from very different backgrounds including many who were not at all religious and I was going to ask you about this Natasha whether there is anything mm-hmm. that people have in common before their near death experiences is there a sort of person who has these experiences there's um, there's nothing as yet that that, um, I've found in my research or others, I'm very well connected to the near-death research community and there's there's no one single thing um, that we can say, look, this is is it, this is the same across every person who's had a near-death experience. They seem to happen to to anyone. Um, So that's, you know, in some ways it's... um, I guess reassuring because it leaves the door open as to well, well what are these experiences? How are they caused? Um, what causes them? What's what's the single variable? Because there doesn't seem to be any. So I think we need to look for other explanations. So in short, no, there's, there's nothing. There's no single demographic, no single religious affiliation or spiritual belief or age or gender or, or anything that. Um, will make a person more likely to have an MDE uh, than anyone else. Yeah. And what about religious people? Does it tend to confirm their religious beliefs once they've had an MDE? Um, it's quite interesting, actually. And in some cases, it strengthens their existing belief system. Um, but in a lot of cases, including many people I've spoken to, um particularly those who have had a religious affiliation before their NDE, they'll, they'll come back from their experience and say um, that they no longer feel either that they need to affiliate with that religion or they no longer feel as strongly about it. Huh. And they instead come back and say, well, actually, I just feel more spiritual. Um, and even people who haven't had a religious affiliation before the NDE, they have the same sense of enhanced uh, spirituality and it's probably a little bit contentious to say but you know some people who have had NDEs will say look the religion served them well before their experience but now that they've had their experience they recognize um, the the perhaps the limitations um, of their religious affiliation so it opens them up to um, accepting and being tolerant of other perspectives, which I find really interesting as well. It, um, so it can strengthen, but more often than not, it um, instead of strengthening the religion, it strengthens the sense of the spiritual and the sacred. Thank you. I'm talking to Natasha Tessel Matamua, who is an expert on near death experiences. It's our Monday expert segment. And how about this one, Natasha, from a listener? I had a near death experience 50 years ago, and I still remember the smell of death. 
Have you come across that before? Um, I, I haven't encountered uh, anyone talking about the smell of death, but I have encountered um, plenty of people saying, look, I had my experience 50 years ago and I remember it as clear as if it happened mm. yesterday. Um, so maybe that person's, you know, sort of um, speaking to the same sense of clarity regarding the smell. But I've never actually had anyone talk to me about the smell of death. No. Interesting. Somebody else says they had what they describe as an out-of-body experience, that they um, they felt that they were at the ceiling looking down on people performing CPR on them. Have you come across anything like that in your interviews? Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, those experiences are really fascinating. Um, so I have come across them and people will often recount being able to uh, see, you know, resuscitation efforts or see what was happening in the next room as they were being resuscitated. And then they come back and they recount that to, for example, Auntie Jane, who was in the next room crying. They recount their, their story to her and she's like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> or they've recounted it to the medical professionals and, and they've been able to verify, like, oh, Actually, that is what happened while we were um, during your resuscitation. That's exactly what we were doing. So I find those cases really fascinating um, because there seems, there appears to be some sort of perception occurring, even though for all intents and purposes, the person appears to be clinically dead. Um, so I think that calls, it raises all sorts of interesting questions around the nature of consciousness and um, how is it possible is that it, someone can witness yeah, yeah, their yeah. own resuscitation, you know? So, yeah, it's is interesting. There, is there a cultural aspect to these experiences? Are we describing what um, someone living in a Western uh, cultural society will experience in a near-death experience rather mm -hmm. than some something across humanity? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... It's a very, very interesting question that the field of near-death studies needs to really seriously look at. A lot of the, the research um, over the past 40 years has, has been mostly, it's been dominated by um, cases and researchers based in America and also Western Europe. Um, and they obviously have looked at, at cases um, that are mostly of um, Caucasian or European people. So I think um, there is ne more research needed before we can conclude that that this is something that is universal. Although, of course, there are there are cases and um, that have arisen out of, for example, China and Thailand, and there's even some indigenous Māori um, cases, historical and also contemporary, which seem to be very similar in terms of the features, so in terms of the light or seeing a deceased other as examples. But um, the languaging, um, they just describe them slightly differently. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's possible they're just a, a, a function of Western society and Western construction, but I think it's probably unlikely 
Um, but again, we, you know, th- there just needs to be more research too um, before we can conclusively say either way. You've talked to a hundred people or over a hundred people. What do you still want to find out? What do you hope to uncover with your research? Um, I, th- I think in the short term, exactly what we've just sort of um, spoken about, Jesse. You know, I, I really have an interest in um, looking at, for example, Indigenous people's narratives around near-death experiences. Are they the same? Are they different? What meaning do they give to them? Um, I think that's a really fascinating area for me personally, and and I think that's because um, I'm. I identify as Māori and our understandings of wairua, you know, the spiritual realm, um, are very present with us all the time. And so I wonder if Māori, um, other Māori beyond myself who have near-death experiences, what their interpretations are of those experiences and what meaning they give to them. So that's, in the short term, I'd love to, um, you know, pursue that more in the long term, you know, I think near-death experiences really challenge, and it goes back to the question the um, the person who texted in earlier had about the role of the brain in near-death experiences. I I do think they they may be antagonising us to look at the nature of consciousness, and you know, in psychology, which is my my discipline that I've been trained in, we we're taught that consciousness is manufactured by the brain, um, but near-death experiences really call that into question. Um, so long-term, I'd love to keep exploring, you know, what do they mean for uh, uh, deepening our understandings about the nature of consciousness? It would be interesting to um, scan the brain or find out what the brain was doing during these experiences, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um there are some there are some groups um over in uh Eastern Europe, where is it? Belgium. Belgium who um are looking at people in coma and trying to see whether maybe maybe their experiences of while in coma, but you know, some as they come out report very conscious awareness while they're in coma, whether that might tell us something a little bit more about how the NDE um, is manufactured. But there's certainly, aside from that, there's been some research in um, the states that has um, asked people who have gone into cardiac arrest while in hospital, asked them if they've had any unusual experiences um, when they, you know, come out of their cardiac arrest mm. and are well enough to answer and. I think that's some really interesting research because they've, they're able to monitor um, particular things that people might report, like the out-of-body component. Um, they're able to see how that lines up with the medical records and the physiological recordings of people's um, body and what's happening to the body and the brain. Um, so, so I think that's really promising stuff. And in fact, there's a one case um, by a a doctor called Sam Pania, who's quite well known in the area, and he's written about a man who reported three minutes into his cardiac arrest. Um, he he reported um, during his NDE hearing a sound, and that was sorry, that was three minutes into his cardiac arrest. So 
you know, there's questions around, well, how could he have registered a sound when he was clinically dead, you know, at that point in time? So, again, they're, they're inconclusive, but I think they're really interesting that there's um, some studies that are that are looking at ways of measuring physiological activity and trying to correlate it with the near-death experience and the timing of it. And if the tunnel and the light isn't a physical brain shutdown, what's your best guess at what is happening, what those things are? Oh, um, we have two this minutes. This is a deeply, <laughs> deeply philosophical question. Um, I think in short, uh, I think we need to, to look beyond our current science for the answer. Um, I having spoken to so many people and from my own experience, um, it feels otherworldly um, to someone who has the experience. And when you talk to them, it sounds otherworldly. Um, so that's all I can really say, Jesse. I think we need to look beyond what, what our current understandings are um, and, and think about other possibilities to explain the needy's experience. Do you still want to hear from people who have had experiences like these or are you between studies at the moment? Um, I'm I'm always happy to hear from people um, and they can find me if they, they uh, sort of go on the Massey website or, or Google me. Very happy to receive emails from people. Kind emails, of course. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm currently um, doing a study on terminal lucidity, which is... Um, instances of people as they are dying, particularly those who are terminally ill, they might be in a coma or have dementia. And for a period of time, just prior to death, they become very lucid. Um, and in the cases of people who've got dementia, they might suddenly remember their son or daughter's yeah. name and speak to them very clearly when they may not have done that for months or years. Natasha, um, we, might get you back to, we might get you back. Sorry, I have to interrupt because we're going into no, the no, news, oh, but God. we might get you back to talk about that one. Thank you so much for your time today. Really interesting topic. Love it.